Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. We got a great guest for you the next couple of episodes. Um, Charles Jenkins is a fantastic player. He played for Olympiacos last season. We'll get his part of this pod. You'll find out what it was like to play um, under kind of quarantine COVID in Greece this past year. There's so much good stuff on this pod from his upbringing, the um, a tragedy which took place when he was in eighth grade um, to bouncing around high schools, to how he made his way to Hofstra, to becoming a star at Hofstra, playing really for two coaches, but sort of three coaches at Hofstra and, and what happened. Uh, to being drafted in the NBA, to what it's like to play with Steph Curry, to when when Monte Ellis was traded, like all this stuff, it's all on here. So you're going to love it. Um, I'm not going to do a draft recap and go through guy by guy by guy. But I, I do think what's fascinating is um, some of the makings of these teams, right? These are the, because if you look at the NBA, the teams in the NBA finals, I, you know, I, I, whether they tanked or they were just bad and then they went for the full tank gusto, Phoenix was really bad a couple years ago. Milwaukee in 2013, they were terrible. And the building blocks of NBA Finals teams starts in the draft, right? That's a long time since, 19, since 2013. I think it was 2013 with Milwaukee. And it's not that long for Phoenix. But, um, I mean, I like the Devin Booker uh, uh, draft pick. He was the youngest guy in the draft. 
that year. And, you know, I've, I learned from that and the Tobias Harris and so many of these guys that you're like, they're really good, but oh, well, they're only, he's only how old? Oh, well, that's, that's, that's different. So let me just give you a couple of things that I find interesting. I, I thought Houston did a really good job. Um, you get Jalen Green, who I, I personally like Cade Cunningham better all around, but you do need guys that can score. And this guy can score. And he is he has improved during his year with the G League Ignite. Like he's a bucket freak athlete who's becoming a better shooter. I don't know about decision makings in big games. You're not going to play in a big game for a couple of years with the Rockets. Doesn't matter. You got the second best prospect on the board, a wing scorer who's a freak athlete. I like it. Uh, but then they got Sanguin, who Alperin Sanguin, who's 18 years old, was a, a machine scoring in Turkey at a very, very high level. I thought he should have gone sooner. You know, and then you look at what else they, I like their whole draft. Um, the interesting one is Oklahoma City, where they got Josh Giddy, and Giddy left-handed, kind of a one, two, three, not really a four, tremendous passer. He's kind of got that funky, unorthodox, smart, not Joe Ingles. He's, he's more of a playmaking guard, but he's not crazy athletic. But here's the thing, like those guys work in the NBA. They do. Luka Doncic is not a great athlete, but he's a great basketball player. And I, I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself. Be like, well, you got Jalen Green. Like, they're different. Jalen Green has one. He, defensively, he should be able to lock you up and make some plays with athleticism. Offensively, he should be able to score. And, but Giddy is a guy who can score some, can make everybody else better. Like, he's a, for a young kid, really skilled, really smart, and big. And... It's just interesting what Oklahoma City chose to turn down in order to take Josh Giddy. I think those are the Houston and Oklahoma City, both in rebuild mode, really interesting. And then Detroit, uh, Kate has a chance to be special. He is uh, Penny Hardaway 2.0 to me. And people who remember how good Penny Hardaway was, that is a supreme compliment. <laughs> and Penny, um, Prop 48 in his first year, whereas obviously Kate came out of his first year. So in terms of development, I would say Cade's probably ahead of where Penny was at, at this time during his life, during his career, not life. He's still alive. He's coaching. Anyway. All right. Let's get to this uh, Charles Jenkins interview. And then I'll give you a, a couple of thoughts um, on the rest of the NBA draft and on Russell Westbrook with the Lakers. Without further ado, the superstar at Hofstra, former draft pick of the Golden State Warriors, Charles Jenkins. Um. Okay, so your your first memories of playing hoop, right? First memories of playing hoop are are where? Uh, in Brooklyn, New York, with my uh, my older brother and my dad. You know, Brooklyn's fascinating, right? Because my dad grew up in New York, and we used to go back every summer. And Brooklyn, growing up in Brook, like Brooklyn now, is crazy, crazy nice and expensive. And everything's redone, not everything, but a lot. I mean, it is, you want to talk about a place that has done a complete transformation, but that's for people who are thinking of Brooklyn now. What was Brooklyn like when you grew up? Uh, well, I, I lived there for a short amount of time. So, that was, but that's when I began playing. Brooklyn was pretty rough. Uh, we lived in the Brownsville area. Um, it was a lot of uh, crime. Um, the gangs really started to form that time, so... I, I want to say, like, maybe the first 
couple years playing. I played in Brooklyn, but my dad was so, you know, paranoid about where I would end up if I stayed there. So we ended up moving to Queens. But at that time, it was a very tough neighborhood to live in. It was a lot of, you know, shootings, you know, often drug dealing. And a lot of my friends were turning into gang members at a really young age. So it was a it was a pretty tough experience for us. So what's that like? Like what's what's it what's it really like? We, we have people who don't grow up in an area where their friends are becoming, you know, members of a gang. How how old? Are you, like let, let's say how, your last year there. How old were you? My last year there, I was seven. Okay, so you're seven years old. You just you know fun. I mean, I I just seven year olds usually have no cares in the world, right? They're just boys and they just play and whatever. Um, but like seven-year-old kids would be, were getting into gangs? I mean, most I mean, most neighborhoods, there are gangs affiliated to each neighborhood. So, and I have a lot of older cousins that chose that path. So I was around it for, I mean, too much for someone to be that young and understand it. I mean, I was just um, noticing the other day, I was with my nephew and he lives in Brooklyn as well. And at his age, he can tell you which gang is from what neighborhood, which is too much information. I would rather him be able to name <laughs> all the presidents that we had rather than to be that informed about his neighborhood. But unfortunately out there, you have to be aware of your surroundings. So when I was young, I was able to, you know, understand what was going on just because I was exposed to it, of course, which is a young age. But my dad was was um, very adamant about us not being there long enough to see, you know, a lot more that, that we experienced at that time. Okay, so uh, what did your dad do for a living? Uh, my dad worked for UPS. Do you remember the conversation or was were you too young for that conversation? Uh, too young for the conversation. I just remember that we lived in like a small complex and there was like a big murder that happened where it was like multiple people being like laid out on like coming out on stretchers uh it was a lot of news coverage and shortly after that i remember my dad you know letting us know that we won't be living there much longer so you moved to queens which is like a completely different life is it yeah. was there a community center or are you out at the park when you when you're now now you're starting to play you're eight nine ten years old uh, my mom, my mom went to uh, the grocery store. We first moved here and there was like um, this like brochure for a basketball league that they had. It was ages from there was like from six to nine. And then they had a, another league from 10 to 13 where you can play. And she brought she brought home the pamphlet. We spoke about it. And I think that next Saturday I went down to try out for one of the teams. And I've been playing you know, ever since organized ever since. Were you always good? Like, was it something like? Nah, I wasn't, honestly. Um, when I was really young, from my, from my age, I was exceptionally, exceptionally well. Uh, I played really good in this league. But when I, like, traveled around the city, you know, I, I, it was, uh, uh, when I, like, if I went to Brooklyn and we played against Brooklyn teams, I didn't do fairly well all the time. Or if we went up to the Bronx and played against the Gauchos, you know, I had some some problems with them. Or if we played against teams like Riverside, that was big in New York at that time. You know, we, I, I wasn't with the best dude on the floor. Right, Riverside Church. So, yeah. okay, so you get ready now. Now you're now you get middle school into high school. What program did you play with? Well, I played for my dad, and 
my dad had a team that, that we put together. Uh, we were just like literally going around and finding kids. And we managed to put, the, put together a team for two years. And then I played for the Panthers and Long Island Lightning for about two years. What was it like to play for your dad? Uh, it was it was good. I mean, he when I played, I was always like a really like big kid. So when I played in other leagues, I played like the four or the five. Even though I was pretty short, I was just bigger than everybody. So I always played the four or the five. And my dad would would tell me like, you know, you're not gonna be that tall when you get older. And this is like the average side for a guard. So I want you to play for me and like learn how to, you know, be a guard instead of you know, you're not gonna get a you're not gonna have a chance to get a scholarship being a six three power forward. So he would always say that. So playing for him was fun. And it was also tough because he had to like go to distance to show other parents that there was no favoritism, even though I was his son. So I learned a lot playing for him. But as yeah, far no, as like, it's, it's, it's super challenging. Like I, I played for my dad and now I coach my son. And it's the like when he has a great game or he's really kind of improving and getting it, it's the best. But you also you have to manage, hey, you can't play favorites. You got to sub out sometimes, you know, you got to get into them. You know, so you have a deeper relationship. You'll talk, he'll talk back to you some as well. Cause he, he does know more than some of the other kids. Like it's a, it's a completely different thing than having your guy, your kid play for somebody else. Yeah. I, I didn't understand it at the time. I, I thought he was just trying to make an example of me, but as I got older and I just reflected on it, I, I was thinking about like, man, if I, if I coach my son and the team that we had, all the parents were involved. They were at, they were at all the games. And of course, you want to see your son do well. So if, the, if there's one kid playing for his dad, you definitely don't want uh, your son to be at some sort of disadvantage. So I think he did a good job at that. I was just too young to understand at the time. Um, high school. What was your high school experience like? Um, well, my my brother my brother passed away when I was in eighth grade. Towards the end of my eighth grade year, so high school, my first year, I ended up going to Holy Cross for one year, but I was so like depressed. For the majority of that year that I didn't even play. I was Okay, so 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 take 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 me through what happened, how it happened, and my, my brother? Yes. Oh well my brother was a street was a street dude. Um he was heavy in the crime. He loved it. He thrilled, he thrived in that. He loved like uh putting fear into people, uh robbing people at times. And he, he just loved that lifestyle. So, I mean, unfortunately, that lifestyle only ends two ways. Either you go to jail or you or someone catches up to you. And unfortunately, that happened to him. Um, I remember I was going to pick up my cousin and we stayed in a car for a little while because there was a lot of shots going off in Brooklyn. We heard like a lot of shots. It was maybe about like like 10 minutes, of like back and forth shooting. So we waited in a car for a while before we went upstairs. And then once it stopped, we went upstairs. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, my cousin opened the door. He said, I'm surprised y'all alive. I just heard about 40 shots outside. And we were like, oh, no, we were just waiting in the car for it to finish. And then we were coming upstairs. So that happened. We were just all like hanging out for a little bit. And then the phone rang. And I could hear my mom like scream like, she got she got a call from my my his my brother's my niece's mom my brother's girlfriend at the time she called and i could hear my mom scream and told us to like get like hurry like we gotta go we gotta go so we jumped in the car 
my mom is driving insane, like through the busy, like New York streets to get to the hospital. So we were outside the hospital for about one hour, I think. And the doctors, you know, like the doctors kept coming out saying, you know, he's in critical condition, but he's still breathing. We're trying our best. It kept coming out maybe like every 15 minutes. And I want to say about the last time he came out, I was, I was standing outside and I didn't know like that he, that he pronounced my brother, you know, dead after a while. But like, I just remember my aunt like jumping and my sister uh, passed out. And then it was like a wave of emotion around like just a room. It was like, like an unbelievable feeling. And me being young, I was 11. It was like, uh, it was hard for me to like understand what just happened because like my aunt was hysterical and my sister was like, she was like passed out on the ground. She was like, they had to put her on the stretcher. So it was kind of hard for me to like really feel that emotion because it was so much other things going on until, you know, uh, later that night we drove home after my parents saw his body and things like that. And I was able to really like understand that my brother is not going to call me tomorrow, you know? So big like brothers, big, big brothers are like, you know, it's like your dad. It's like your, your hero. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but sure. what was it? But you also said that you life and putting fear in people. So, I mean, did you idolize him? What were your, but before that, and this is hard now, obviously, because there's still the mm-hmm. emotions of, of him dying. But before that, what, what did you think or feel about your brother? Like, what was your, when um, people would say, 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 Oh, I know your brother or whatever. Like what, what was your opinion of him? But the thing, the thing is he never was like that around me. So the, the personality he had when he walked outside and he was on the streets is totally different from what I, what I saw on a daily basis. Of course, you know, he was a big Iverson fan. So we, anytime there was a TNT game and the Sixers were playing, we were, he would make sure that he was around so we could watch it together. Um, he always spoke about hoops. And of course, I've seen times where he got into confrontations with people or he handled the situation, not with like guns or anything, but like maybe a fist fight or, you know, something that's not that, like, like how it ended for him. But right. I was, I, I never saw you know, the kind of person he was on a consistent basis when he was outside. I've only heard stories, you know, after he passed away about the things that he was. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. 
Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you're home and it kind of all sinks in and hits you that he's not he's not coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, your parents are a mess, right, as any parents would be. Of course. Obviously, your, your sister... How did you, how did you deal with it? How did you, how did you process? Um, I mean, it, it was, it was hard. It took, a, it took a long time. I want to say it took about a year, a year and change for me to like, to kind of wake up, you know, um, my brother, my brother was, he, my brother used to always call me. Like when I came home from school, he would ask me questions like, you know, um, how was school today? What did you learn? Or are you are you going to practice your ball handling? Or he'll mention something about like hoops, and then like we'll have jokes. And he also had his own apartment at a really young age, and I would like go see him on the weekends sometimes, and we would just like hang out. Of course, he was eleven years older than me, and it was always like a great time for me. So, you know, when I got to high school, of course, my first day of high school, I'm around you know a different group of people. I was looking forward to that call. You know, there were some times where I had you know, confrontations with people. And I would always want to call my big brother if it was bigger than what it should have been. And I couldn't. So those are the times where I had a relationship with him where I could share things that were him that I didn't want to share with my dad. So once the other things that was happening and I didn't really have anyone that I wanted to, I was comfortable enough sharing with, that's when I started to feel it the most. But I I really um, woke up when my freshman year finished and I was, I got kicked out of school. What'd you get kicked out of school for? Man, I was I, academically, I wasn't, I was non-existent. I was just going to school, but, yeah. but I wasn't, I had zero desire to be there. Why'd you go to Holy Cross to begin with? Like, what was that? Your parents picked that? Like, how did you? Uh, there was a, I, I, when I played for the Panthers, I played for this coach, Lloyd Davin. And the night before, maybe like two, three days before high school was going to start, I was going to go to this public school that I ended up going to anyway. Springfield Gardens. 
Springfield Garden this year, which had a really bad reputation. And I saw Lloyd, then maybe like a couple of nights before school started. And he was like, where are you going this year? And I was like, oh, I'm going to Springfield. And he was like, man, like, you can't go there. Like, that's, that school is terrible. It's this, it's that. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to make a call. And you know, I'll call you tomorrow. And it happened fast like that. He called me the next day. I had to, like, you know, find a shirt and tie. I went. I sat with the principal and, like, the dean. And a couple of days later, I was at Holy Cross. But you didn't even play sports? Not at all. Nothing. No. So you're academically ineligible. You flunk mm-hmm. out of school, yeah. right? You're, 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 and, and I'm, I'm, I'm picturing and tell me if I'm like your whole family, like there's a fog over all of you guys. Cause your brother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you, you had to go back to Springfield, Springfield gardens. Um, what do you, and you're, you're playing like a, you like, what was your dad like to you with, with your grades being, was he engaged oh, at all or was he still go ahead? No, that was, that was a tough summer for me. Um, of course, I had to make had to go to summer school. Um, I had to have the conversation with him about, you know, uh, what what paths I can go down if I continue um, living this way. Um, about waking up, uh, about being able to grieve and still live your life. Um, really big conversations I had with him. Um, my dad worked at a group home for over twenty years, where there were a bunch of kids whose parents didn't want them, and he would he would take me there show me how these kids live, compare my life to theirs and what what they did and what what this kid, you know, how many times this kid was in trouble with the law or where what paths he's gonna go down. And it was it was eye opening because I was I was blind to that. I didn't know anything about like like just that like group homes. So he was telling me like this is where I work. This is my second job. These are the kids I'm around. This is what they're involved in. These this is what I have to deal with on a consistent basis. Now look wow. at your life. Is your life anything like this? And I was like, nah, it's not. And I think he one time he told me that he he would let me stay the weekend up there with them just to see how it is. And I was like, nah, this is enough for me. And then, you know, I started to get myself together. Um, okay, so this whole time, like, were you six three early? Like, you you did you grow nah. super early? No, no, no. I I was I was maybe like. Five, ten, maybe. When did you? When did your game start to come together? Because I know by your senior year you were a star. Uh, when did your game start to come together? My 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 junior year, that just um, at the end of my sophomore year, I had a really good summer. Um, I played for a local team, uh, New York City's finest, and the coach gave me the opportunity to play with, at the time, like like fifteens, and then I played on his team with the guys that were getting ready for college. I mean, I didn't play that much on that team, but I got to practice with them. Um, I got to learn. Uh, I got a chance to feel like, all right, I'm young, but I have to prove myself. Like I felt like I had to prove myself all the time when I played with the older team. And I started to get accepted by them, like maybe like towards the end of the summer, right? Going right into my junior year. I just had like an amazing amount of confidence just you know, getting ready for public school basketball. And, you know, I started to play really well. By your senior year, you're one of the best players in the city, right? Um, yeah. This is, this is 2006. Six. Yeah. So who, who else is, who else is big in the city that year? Man, Edgar Sosa was the best guard in New York at that time. You ever, you ever think back, you ever think back and it's pretty, pretty awesome, right? Like now you're a, 
a superstar uh, international basketball player, right? And you think of all of those guys who at the time were being judged as as good as you or better than you and guys you thought of. And like, again, I don't know what Edgar Sosa is doing, but I know he's not, not doing what you're doing. Like it is pretty amazing. The snapshot of when we're 17, like I was thinking about this. I take pride in this. When I was 12 years old, I joined the team and we won the national champ, like the AU national championship. And like, I went back and track like all, and I, I didn't play very much. And I went back and tracked and I was like, oh, I had a better run than that guy, than that guy, than that guy, than that guy. Okay, so it's Edgar Sosa. Who else? Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Grant. He ended up, he went to Villanova, then transferred to Miami. Um, there was a guard, Larry Davis. He went to NC sure. State, I think. I mean, I, I, Edgar's still playing. Edgar's still playing really well uh, in Europe. Dwight Hardy, he still plays. He was really good. Eugene Harvey, he went to Seton Hall. Sure. Edgar was the Edgar's the guy, man. Edgar was Edgar. the guy? Yeah. Now did, did you play time. against him? Did you play against him in AU? Nah, he played he played on the uh I played on the Adidas uh Mark. When I did play, I played for the student athlete Broncos and we played Adidas. I don't know where the uh where the Gauchos played. I think they were a Nike team. Yeah. No, we had that when I when I came out too, where you just you didn't play against Nikes. Uh you didn't you didn't play against Nike teams or you didn't go yeah. play Nike events. Here's 2006. You ready? Yeah. Cur- Curtis Kelly was considered the best player for sure in New York. Yeah. Edgar Sosa, okay. Um, Lazar Hayward. Yeah. Antonio Pena. Antonio Pena. Yeah, the Larry Davis, Larry, right? Larry, Larry Davis, John yeah. Mitchell. Yeah. Austin Wallace, uh, Brad Sheehan, who went to Georgia Tech, apparently from Latham. I never heard of him. Uh, let's see here. Vernon Teal. Vernon Teal was in t- 2006. I think he re- he reclassed though. He reclassed because he was he was older than me. Yeah. Uh, Antoine Pearson went yeah, to Manhattan. Antoine. Went to Saint. Yeah, went to Saint Dom's. Um, Tim Burns. Oh, I know Tim Okay. Andre Tarver. I'm I'm asking you this because I went back and looked, and like you were ranked the forty like fourth best yeah. yeah, 44th best player in New York. Right. Okay, so why Hofstra? Uh at the time I was on this is the this is the my absolute truth. I tell yes. this story all the that's, time. That's it. That's what this, by the way, that's what this pod is for. We, uh, we don't need, there's there's no reason you're not hurting anybody's feelings 15 oh, years after the fact, right? Okay. Like, this is the right. truth. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So, um, go after, as well as I played um, my junior my junior year, I didn't have one division, division one offer at all. Nothing. And why? Was, dad, it because, was it because of your grades your freshman year or, or uh, why? I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't honestly. I I don't know, and I I didn't I didn't have any. I didn't I didn't even get any any letters from any big time schools. I don't even think there was there was one school that I knew if if all fail I would go to. That's because of this relationship that I had, and it was Kentucky State. There was a guy named Charlie that I grew up playing around, and he always you know gave me you know a lot of praises. He watched me grow up, and he was involved with that school. 
And there was also a school in Long Island, uh, Adelphi, that a high school coach I played, I played, um, high school team I played against, their head coach was involved with that university. His name was uh, Pittman. So those are, those are my guarantees. If all fails, I, there's a possible chance that I can go there. But of course, like watching TV, you want to you wanna play in the big time schools. You want to play Division One basketball. But unfortunately, that wasn't what was going on for me as a junior. So my, my junior year is when you start, you know, you start taking the PSATs. And my best friend, he was, uh, we were going to um, the college office in school. And they, they called both of us down there and they were like, you know, you got to register for, you know, um, you know, to take your PSATs. This is important. This is about your future X, Y, Z. And my friend, he said to this lady, I'll never forget. He said, I'm not taking the PSAT. He said, when I graduate, I'm going to trade school. I'm going, I'm going to graduate in 13 months and then I'm going to start working. Now, in my head, I was just like, man, this, that don't sound like a bad idea because he has an idea. He, he's, he knows what he's going to do. But he's got a plan. Because, because, yeah, he has a plan. And he was so confident in what he said. I was, I was thinking in, like, in my head, like, man, that don't sound like a bad idea. <laughs> of course, I went on. I took the PSAT. Um, me and my dad spoke about, you know, how important it is. And we watched, you know, basketball documentaries and stuff about players and I think Lamar Odom at that time had some something going on with, with his SAT score that happened so I, I, I always wanted to yeah he it. flew out to he flew out to, so so Lamar, Lamar Odom was supposed to go to uh UNLV ah was it UNLV God, I forgot where he was originally going okay but but he actually flew out to LA and there was this high school Linwood High School where he took the SAT and like had the magic pen where all of a sudden like he killed it. In the yeah. And so it was, I think it was invalidated or something like, something yeah, like that. Something like that. I, I believe yeah. that was, that, that but was in, the. But in my, in my mind at the time, since I didn't have schools and of course being in New York, like I remember that time Edgar, Edgar was already commit, committed to Louisville. Kirk Kelly was going to UConn, you know, and there was a league that that's big in New York, ISA and like the, the, the guy on the microphone will always like he would big up players that had scholarships. Like if Edgar scores sometimes, he would say like Edgar Sosa, Louisville for free. Like he would always like say stuff like that. And I didn't, I didn't get that. And it didn't, right. and it honestly, you didn't get that love. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, yeah. I wanted it of course, but playing at Springfield, we didn't really get the big time, you know, recognition as like other schools. So I guess that's why I flew under the radar, but mm-hmm. I didn't notice that until later at that time i was thinking like you know i'm not getting the scholarships offers that i thought i would from any school let alone like d1 d2 i didn't get anything so i was thinking like man i'm this is probably a better option for me to, to do the same as my friend i don't understand you're six three point guard yeah at the time I, like I, I i don't <laughs> could you not shoot like what how do nah, or was yeah. it were you just not in events like how how is it possible I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't know how to. How to okay, so, 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 uh, okay, so who the first contact you had with Hofstra was, who and when? Um, David Dukes, uh, my my senior year, like, and like I want to say about in December, of my senior year, we had um, we had a, a this Catholic school versus um, public school, like invitational tournament that we got invited to. And we played against St. Raymond's and I played really well. 
Um, we lost by four. Of course, Springfield versus St. Ray's, we were supposed to lose by 50 in front of a big, big crowd, but we ended up losing by four. We had a chance to win the game. We missed the last shot and fouled. And I want to say we played Saturday morning, and Hofstra was at Springfield, David Duke's at Springfield Monday, like Monday, the Monday practice. He was there. So that was the first time I met him. And and what what do you think? When somebody comes up to but, you and says, Hey, like like what do you think about about Hofstra? No, but the fun, the uh, funny thing is my dad, my dad, him and my dad know each other. So my dad, he my dad, my dad used to get Hofstra tickets. Uh for his kids at the group home. He used to take all the kids that behave well. He used to take them to Hofstra games. So Coach Dukes was responsible for getting him the tickets. So he, he, my dad told me that he used to always tell like Coach Dukes, like you, whenever you need him, there's a 6'3 guard that goes to Springfield. And he said like Coach Dukes never paid it, you know, much attention. He just was like, all right, whatever. And just, you know, gave him the tickets and, you know, went about his business. So when I first met him, the first thing he said to me is, can you shoot? And I was like, yeah, I can shoot. And he's like, well, let me see your shot. And he just rebounded a couple shots for me. And then we sat down, we talked. Um, he uh, he was telling me about the school, um, the opportunity I have to play. And in my head, I was like, whatever. I'm, I'm no somebody. I know St. John's is coming. Omar Cook was my favorite player. I wanted to play for St. John's really bad. Right, right. Um, so eventually Maris came on really strong. And then I got a phone call from Norm Roberts. Norm Roberts went to Springfield and he was showing some interest in me. Like, you know, um, you know, we heard about how you've been playing. You know, we're going to send someone to come watch you. and You know, we'll keep in contact. Uh, but they wanted me to go to prep school. When I was a senior, there was a lot of my like friends or guys I played against that was reclassifying and going to prep schools all over the world. And I wasn't a fan of that because I didn't like high school. So I was like, why am I going to do One more year of high school, which one I don't more year like high already. School and I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was, I was 17 at the time. And before, like once I started getting like a couple of schools, uh, my mom um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And yeah. that, that yeah. changed everything for me. Um, Hofstra is only 20 minutes away. My dad at that time was working three jobs. He worked at UPS at night. He did the group home from 10 to six. And on the weekend, he started, him and his friends started like a truck driving business. So I know that my mom was going to, you know, experience a lot of changes in her life. And my sister and I, uh, we decided that we would you know, stay closer to home. If she, in case she needed anything, we wanted to be in driving distance of where, wherever she needed. And Hofstra's right there. Of course, you know, Big East and all of that stuff is cool, but, you know, my family is everything to me. It's only it's only four of us that have a really, really tight bond, which is my mom, my dad, my sister, and myself. So it made Hofstra an easy decision. It wasn't about, you know, basketball at the time. It was about, of course, getting a scholarship, which my parents always pushed, and being around for my mom. Um, as far as the basketball, uh, we had two senior guards that was uh, Lawrence Stokes and Carlos Rivera. And we had one junior guy, Antoine Aguillo, who, and they were telling me, you know, we're thinking about redshirt you your first year. You know, you, you get to learn, learn how things are ran. And then, you know, going into your freshman year, you'll be able to be a, an important part of the team. And I was like, you know, 
in my head, I was more like, you know, the scholarship is enough. But when I got to school, I was really able to, you know, understand that what they were saying was true. So, so your first year, you're sitting there, you're watching, right? Yeah. That's hard. That, that's got to be incredibly hard because you had a great senior year and you had choices to go to prep, which granted, you didn't want to go to your high school or maybe go to one of these other schools and play right away. But, you know, your mom's dealing with stuff. Um, what, what was that like to sit and watch other guys play for the first time in your life? Uh, I, I think it would have been easier if, if I went to another school. I mean, <laughs> if I went to school out of town because I'm I've, from New York, I've been here, you know, all my life up to that point. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of people were coming to the games thinking that I would play. Now, if I was a red shirt that um, that I know I was in like a suit or something or like team sweats watching the games, then it would have been a lot easier. But the fact that I, I was dressed, I was on a layup line. I practice, you know, all the punishment runs I was a part of. It was it was hard to, you know, watch a lot of games, of course, games where, you know, we got blown out and they cleared the bench or games we blown teams out and everybody, you know, got a chance to play except me. So it was it was tough. But I was also maybe like halfway through it. I, I knew that there was no chance that I would play like zero chance. I was able to just, you know, focus on what I needed to do for the next season. Do you, do you remember how you guys did that year? Because I'm, I'm looking. I have I, I just I have the results. In case uh, I think we were, I, I, I'm not sure. I think we finished maybe first or second in the league, I think. And you guys, I know you, guys, you, you guys lost your first three games. Yeah, yeah we, I know. We lost, in, uh, we lost our first three games. We lost that, uh, uh, man, they had the, it's a green and white school. Charlotte? Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, we lost to Charlotte. And then Manhattan, two two Manhattan. green and white schools. Manhattan, yeah, and then they, they were saying then, that we had a curse of the green and white. Yeah. Yes, because then you lost to uh, Hawaii as well. Yeah, all green, all green and white schools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you get done with your first year, yep. okay? And now those guys are gone. Now you're going to play, um, and obviously, like you're playing in the summer. And you and and you hadn't like played, but how how different was your game? Man, in high school in high school, I was I was bigger than everybody, so I was you know I got whatever I wanted. I was driving the majority of the time. I rarely shot shot jumpers, and uh, I remember before the, when I got to, to college, Coach Dukes would say, like you know you you yeah you can drive, that's cool, but at this level they'll throw it in the stands, so we need to work on your shot. And that summer before my freshman year, when I actually played, I, I just stayed at school. I asked them, can I stay in August? Uh, I keep my little room and just continue to get in the gym because I knew when I came to Queens, I wouldn't have that kind of access to a gym I could be in every day. And we had a, a, a graduate assistant, Tom Pimanella at the time, who was known in, when he was younger as a really good shooter. And we just spent a lot of time together uh, talking. Um, I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to step into a shot, like left, right, or right, left. I yeah. didn't know. I would always hop, then shoot. So uh -huh. it was a lot of, like, muscle memory things that they used to do. Like, coach would come, like, if I'm getting out of class, coach would have a ball in his hand, and sometimes he'll say, left, right, toss the ball in the air, and I had to, like, step in left, right. So I would always think about it, and we would always practice it. And once I was able to learn about the footwork, now it was about, you know, 
fixing my shot, you know, not cocking it back too far, shooting where I'm comfortable, the right balance. It was a lot of that going into it. So I worked so much on it. It, it created a lot more confidence for me because I was like, okay, now I'm comfortable enough to shoot it and I can drive as well. So going into my freshman year, we had Antoine Agudio, who was a really, really good scorer, really good shooter. And I was trying to just be the best, you know, Robin role that I could be because I had the opportunity to. So once it got time to, to you know, play against those guys coming into my freshman year and practices, I was a lot more confident than I was the year before because, you know, I worked a ton on my game. Okay, so do you remember your first game when you actually played you, against, against Holy Cross? Yeah, five points, nine rebounds. <laughs> um, so, you, you, you know, like you, like you got all this confidence. You're like, oh, this is, I'm ready. I'm straight. And then you go score five points. Your second game, though, you blew up, right? Your second game, yeah, you have 19. Correct, correct, correct. Um, which, which, one, which memory is more vivid, the Holy Cross or the Manhattan? I think the – I mean, it wasn't the game. It was the conversation I had with the assistant coach after we played Holy Cross. That was, that's what I'm thinking about the most. We had we, – um, we were in the – I went to his office. He called me in there. It was – I remember it was so – it was weird, but it, it kind of changed – it changed my – the way I was, you know, my approach to the game at that time. Of course, I was super hesitant because I knew that Twan was the guy, and I never – I never played with the guy before, you know, I've always been the guy like up until from like the last couple of years from high school. So it was an adjustment to me. And I was so dependent on him that I was, you know, passing up a lot of opportunities for myself. And the coach called me to the office, uh, coach Mack, who coached at St. John's right now. And he had the footage of all the possible chances I could have shot the ball. Look, you passed this up. You should have took this. Why didn't you take that? Why did you make this pass? And I had to explain and really tell him how I felt. And he asked me, like, what are you afraid of? He said, what are you, are you afraid? Why? He said, look at our bench. He said, if we take you out, you're the second best player on the team. It's not much longer before you're back into the game. So he said, you got to dare to be great. And I was like, man. And I was kind of looking at him like, is this like, are you serious? Are you talking to me? And he was like, yeah, you have to. And he was like, it's going to start in practice. Like in practice, we're going to put you against Tuan and you have to like, you know, get comfortable and being more aggressive. And, you know, the next couple of practices, I was, I mean, I didn't, of course, Tuan, Tuan would kill me all the time in practice when I was a freshman. He would kill me. He would get the best of me the majority of the time. But I felt comfortable making mistakes and looking at coach's reaction because it wasn't like I was just taking wild shots. I was never like a wild shot kind of player. It was just like overthinking mistakes I made. So once I was able to like get that amount of confidence from this associate head coach at that time, the next game I was way more comfortable and, you know, taking more shots and and and, and playing like without without thinking. And I the Manhattan game, I was I was in the right spots. I made I made all my open looks and started to play a lot but a lot better. And the kind of the, the light switch went on. 
the first yeah. time I saw the first time I saw you play and like was like, oh, this guy can play was your junior year. You guys took on UConn. Right. And UConn had Kemba. And Jerome I remember Dyson. you and, and Jerome Dyson. Right. They had yeah. Kemba, Jerome Dyson and Stanley Robinson. And, and Stanley Robinson. Yeah. yeah. And and you gave it to him. You had 25 and eight and and four. But you, your teams weren't as successful. So you weren't getting kind of the notoriety. What, what was what do you remember? So your college experience, you obviously remember every conversation and, and every game like like all of us do. What was that like to now, like you're growing into being a star, and yet, like if it was now, if it was 2021, everybody would be poaching you, trying to get you to transfer up a level, right? What was yeah, it like probably. at Hofstra, right? What was it like at Hofstra when, when Twan leaves, and now it's kind of your team, and your team's kind of struggling, but you yourself are getting better personally? And it was, honestly, it was fun, just because I know how hard it, it was for me to get you know, to a division one club, you know, it was really hard to get to a school. And it was even harder my freshman year just to just to adjust to, you know, a different type of game. So I was more so looking at it like, man, I'm improving. I was more like noticing, of course, that we didn't have that good of a team. But individually, I was improving every year and giving our our guys a better chance at, at winning almost every every time I was on the floor. So that, I was I was thriving in my my opportunity. Um, my sophomore year, I remember coach put an amazing amount of pressure on me. So we had six seniors, um, and uh, I used to shoot really early in the morning. And coach was like walking to um, like I don't know. He was going somewhere, and he stopped in the gym, and he was like, we, um, "I'm gonna announce today that you're a captain." And I'm like, "Man, I'm a sophomore. Like, why am I a captain? Like, there's still." A lot of things that I don't know, but him giving me that responsibility and I'm starting to notice that I was, you know, leading by example and I was getting the respect of the older people. It changed because then I felt that I have I had a responsibility for my teammates. Winning is an everyday mindset and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and coach John Calipari for ways to win. How do you play? How do you work? When you're not at your best, Coach Cal and I'll share some wisdom from our time coaching and we'll apply that wisdom to your off court challenges. You got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph! 
Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Thurow Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, you played for Mo your senior year. You played for Tom Pacora before that. And now, yeah. once you played once you played as long as you played, you played for a lot of coaches, right? You yeah. played for a lot of dudes. Um, what's the best part about Tom Pacora, a guy who, you, who recruited you, who you played for? Yeah. I mean, I've learned I've learned so much from Coach Cora. Um, not even from a basketball standpoint. I feel like just as like a person. I mean, I there was so many at at that time before he went to Fordham. Uh, they made me a part of the subcommittee, so it was like I was a representative for you know all of of the sports in school, and we would have you know meetings about. Um, you know, how can we get more fans to school? How can we, you know, improve things with the students? How can we make the athlete life better? You know, things about study hall. So I would go to a lot of meetings and conference calls and things with him. And on those rides, like we would have a lot of like, just conversations about life. Um, he would talk to me about like being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yep. He would always like tell me a lot of like little little things i remember there was one time um we were at this like this this dinner and i didn't know anyone and he would say like go introduce yourself make your presence known tell them who you are say it with confidence or he would say you know there's sometimes you got to say hi to people you don't like and he would say watch this and i would watch him like go around the room and just network and greet people even though he had you know personal issues with them and they i mean it I learned that and I would be like, and even like now when I'm, you know, in a situation where I'm in a room full of people, I will always think about, you know, those rides that I had with him because I, I used to be super, super just like closed off. Right. That's very normal, right? Like you're a college kid and these, you have nothing in common with these people. You have no desire, but that's it. To me, it's a lot of things about the college experience, which people don't, we do a bad job in the media of of explaining, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I remember (laughs) <laughs> it's funny. When I was at Oklahoma State, we we went on a road trip to uh, like a, my my first year there. We weren't supposed to be good, so we didn't play. We only went on like a road trip to TCU, and then we played Arizona State and Oklahoma City. So we were at like Spaghetti Factory, and we were all messing around. And we had a dude who uh, who couldn't remember any of the plays, so we all put in all our per diem, and we were betting whether or not he could he could drop all of our like our just our secondary sets, right? 
And anyway, we got like super rowdy and there's food everywhere. And coach walks down to our table and he gets so mad that when we get, when we go back, we actually had to go to like these like finishing school classes. I swear to God, like we had to go and everybody had to get a coat and tie. We had to learn how to sit at a dinner table. We had to oh, learn like yeah. proper, ed- like proper yep. etiquette and all these other yep. things. And we're like, this is crazy. Why yeah. are we doing this? So stupid. Why are we doing this? And then, you know, like, Again, 20 years later, you start to get that, like, the college experience isn't just about playing the games and trying to become a pro. It's about all these other things that you learn that, like, your parents don't – that not everybody's parents have time to teach them or have the financial resources to teach them, right? Or, or, or you're, you're in a completely foreign environment, you know, and you have to be able to use your basketball in order to open up these doors to you. Yeah, so it's amazing that – right? Yeah, right? that's crazy but, that you said that. Yeah. Now, now, Pacora had those nice suits, right? He's a Jay Wright guy. Like those guys yeah. always, yep. these guys always yes. look clean. Yes, always clean, uh, clean shave, uh, good ties. Man, I had so many like good conversations with him. It's so funny that you brought up the uh, uh, the etiquette class because I remember yeah. going and I remember seeing like soup for the first time. And yeah, of course, like at home, if, if someone's eating soup at home, they're sick. I've never seen, you know, I, 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 I never, I never know yes, yes. You only have soup when you're sick. That's right. Yes. I didn't know they had, I didn't know they had soup uh, outside of, you know, the supermarket for Campbell's if you're not feeling well. So I remember, I remember the etiquette class and uh, the salad fork and how to shake hands. And Coach Pocor used to always tell me, look, look a man in his eye, meet him at the web when you shake his hand. So that's yeah. I, I do. I learned a lot from him. Stress, strong stuff. Okay, so, um, okay, so then, uh, Bacora leaves. He goes to Hofstra. To Fordham. Let me see. to Fordham. I'm sorry. To go, yeah. goes goes to Fordham. Like you're going to be a senior, and this happens. What 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 do you remember? What was going on in your mind? I remember we had study hall, and. Um, one of my closest friends to this day, Cornelius Vines, he was he was a senior, but he was like finishing up his his classes before graduation. And he he there was this um so the CAA the CAA had this uh this like this board. It was like a forum where like a lot of each school had their own forum, and it's just people writing their opinions on the season. Sometimes I used to go there for motivation after I played bad. There was always somebody talking crap about me on there. And one time he showed me like a, it was like a, a entire forum about Coach Pacora. And it was like, Coach Pacora um, is getting ready to go to Fordham. He's leaving Hofstra this year for sure. It was a whole forum of different people talking about it. But I didn't know if it was true or not. And we were still having our, um, our postseason workouts at that time. So it was kind of hard to, you know, understand if, it was, if these were just rumors or if it was true because I was seeing him a lot. And everything was pretty normal. And the next week, we it was like a Tuesday, I think, or maybe a Thursday. He wasn't there the entire day. Didn't see him. Office door closed. I'm asking everyone, like, where is Tito? Like, he's out. He's out. And we had study hall, and I was, like, on the GA just asking, where's Coach? Call his phone right now. I called him. He didn't answer. Where is he? Why he's not here today? And it was on ESPN, like, uh, like the college – the corner, of course, you know, us small schools, we were always like in the bottom left corner. Well, yeah, there was any news. And it was like, Pacora, question mark, Fordham, something like that. 
and I clicked it, and it was like Pecora's um should they should announce that uh, Tom Pecora is going to be the new head coach of uh um Fordham. And I looked at the GA and I said, "What is this? Is this true?" He's still telling me, "Just do your work. Don't worry about it. That's not true. Uh, I don't believe everything you read." All right, I let it go. The next day we had our team banquet, so of course he was there. This is like you know we you know giving our seniors their jerseys, let them give that last speech, have a nice dinner, and we all go our separate ways. Uh, the entire team is meeting in the, in the locker room. We had our little players lounge and we were getting dressed. And at the bottom of the screen, it flashed. Uh, Tom Pacora is the new head basketball coach at Fordham University. And everybody was just like super, just like, what? Like, how? And I, was, I took it personal because, like I said, I've been with Coach all the time. I've had many conversations with him. I remember when I went on, a had a crazy shooting slump. He called me and he, he gave, he asked me if I wanted to go to the movies. He asked me if my girl was pregnant. He was super helpful at that time to try to, you know, to, to help me and to have a relationship with me. So the fact that that happened, I was pissed because if he would have told me, it would have been, you know, better for me to just know rather than to find out watching, you know, ESPN. So I remember being really upset about that. Did they ask you about who you want to be the coach? Did they involve you at all? Um, uh, we had a meeting um, with the with the uh, the athletic director Jack Hayes at the time, and I I wanted uh, Van Macon to be the um, coach, uh, just because he was there, and you know it, we will probably have this similar system. Everybody loves Coach Mack, and we thought that he would get that opportunity. Um, I saw Coach Mack. We spoke the entire time. He told me that he had an interview for it. I saw him get dressed and walk into the office before. And then he called me the next morning and he said that they're going to hire Tim Welsh. And now I'm like, who the hell is that? Like never, never heard of him before. Um, I had no idea who he was. And I remember just thinking like, man, like my senior year, why is this happening? Like, why, why can't we just, you know, keep what we had and, you know, after maybe leave when I'm gone, but you know, they hired Tim Welsh for about i think two months i think yeah he got the he got the dui right yeah, so yeah. i mean this stuff this stuff is crazy because we look back now and you know all you remember is okay pakora leaves and he goes to fordham okay and then you, you think of mo Kassar, so there's that two months so tim welsh comes in right and uh previous to that he had been i think at, at providence as an He's assistant at providence, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you have no relationship with him. He comes in. What did you think of Coach Welsh when you met him? Man, I mean, he was pretty cool. Um, we went out to dinner. Um, we talked a lot. Uh, he, he had me involved in, like, his personal life. I don't know if it was, like, a plan or something, but he would always ask me, like, where's a nice neighborhood to live in out here? Um, I don't want to be too far from the gym just in case you guys need something. And I remember, like, being in Point Lookout with him a couple of times or after practice having conversations or, you know, who he thought would help us and, you know, the opportunity the team had to be better and things like that. It was a short amount of time, but I felt like I had some, you know, like a say-so on what, what was going on at the time. And even, even through that, we were getting a new strength coach and he had to like the strength coach sit down with me and, 
I had a, a, a say song whether we should hire the guy or not. So I felt really confident, like, man, like, I mean, of course, all of the business stuff, I wasn't involved in with Coach Pecora, but like for Tim to like do that and make my my opinion so you know, valued, I was like, man, maybe this is going to be, you know, something different. And I remember we had, um, I won the Haggerty Award my junior year and they had like Coach Pecora like say great things about me. And then Tim Welsh was standing up there too. And he said, he said, uh, he said, um, you know, thank you, Coach Bakura. Um, you've been an amazing host. He said, he said, you left me a great office. Um, I opened up the, I opened up your closet and it was an amazing amount of ties that you left for me. Thank you. He <laughs> said, but the greatest gift you left me was Charles Jenkins. And I was like, Man, I was, <laughs> I love, that was a smooth line to me. Like at the time, I was like, man, that was nice. Like I didn't see it coming. Like it was yeah, super yeah. smooth. And then, you know, I was happy about it. I was, I was confident. A lot of my, my teammates were hesitant. Some guys uh, wanted to transfer. Um, they ended up bringing in um, Alan Griffin. Yeah. Uh, I know him as Bird because when I lived in Brownsville, he was, he was getting ready to go to Syracuse. So I knew him since I was a kid. So I was really happy about that. Like, man, this is somebody I know for real. Like my, he can come to my house. My parents know him. They'll be happy to see him. Our families know each other. So I was super, super happy about him getting a job as, as one of the assistant coaches. So, I mean, everything was looked promising until what that Friday morning. Yeah. So he, so Friday, so there's a Friday morning, right. In the, in the spring, I think. Yeah. Right, in in the late spring, how'd you find out? Find out. We got like a we got a message um, uh, from uh, the graduate assistant at the time, my man Steve Racefell, and it was like um, mandatory meeting at I don't know maybe eleven or something, which is, which was normally our practice time. Mainly to, no practice today, mandatory meeting. Okay. So we all walk in. I had no idea, but we had this this uh, Hungarian dude that was graduating. His name was Miko Zabo, and he was already like laughing because he knew what happened, but he didn't share. He was just like, "Oh, you don't know what happened? Oh, you'll see." But he was kind of like smirking about it. And we, uh, the, the athletic director, walked in, and the president, Stuart Rabinovich, and he was like, um, "You know, uh, Tim Welsh resigned." And we were like, what? I was like, what? How? Like, how? What? What just happened? And they, that's, that's, that's how they presented it to us. Like, you know, he resigned. And then after, like, uh, guys were saying, you know, he, he fell asleep at the light. He was, he was extremely drunk. He's in, he got bailed out this morning. But I, the way, when he said it, I was just like, how? What, how? Like, I just, I just spoke to him the day before. Like, how, 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 this, how did this happen? And it still didn't register to me until we got outside. So I was like walking to my car and then it was like the news 12 van was out there <laughs> and they were like, Oh, you guys are from the basketball team. We want to ask you questions about your coach. Like how, how do you feel about him um, getting a DUI? And I was just like telling the guys that I was really like, let's just get in the car. Like, let's not go, let's not, you know, entertain this. Like, let's just get in the car. So we got in the car we drove off and then like later that night I watched news 12 and they had like the reactions from all the students that 
that were so, you know, big hardship fans all of a sudden because there was a camera in front of their faces. And I was like, man, he really was, they had like his mugshot on TV. I was like, man, look at Coach. Like, that's crazy. He was, he was drinking and he got behind the wheel. Like, that's kind of like, because it was like, just the timing of it was like, man, like, of course there are people that unfortunately drink and drive. But for him, for that to happen to him was like, man, what? What's next? Like, what else is going to happen? So, so, so again, now they could have hired from the staff or whatever. They bring in, they bring in Mo. Were you, did they ask you the second time around? Who you no, they just, they just, they just asked me uh, how, how, because after that happened with Coach Welsh, we had, we had one practice. We had one practice before they decided to, who was going to be the coach. So we were still practicing with the assistant coaches, just Coach Welsh wasn't there. And I saw the, the president and he just asked me, like, how's workouts going? And I said, oh, they're going pretty good. But like, just I don't want to say things are awful here. I hate it. Of course, like I was just like, no, it's, it's OK. All right. And <laughs> I, I met with the athletic director. I was trying to get Van Macon like this is a sign Van Macon should be here. And they yeah. were like, don't. And I was, I was in tears because I'm like, I'm a senior now. I'm like, I have no idea who's gonna come in here. Um, I they were talking about Tim Clouse, and I heard Tim Clouse run his players to death. I was like, man, I don't want to go through that as a senior. <laughs> um, and we had, they but were you would have scored, you would have scored, you would have scored a bunch of points. Probably, yeah. But oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then there was another meeting. And it was a little weird because the assistant coaches, you know, they were in like street clothes and Coach Mo walked in in a suit. So it looked super, it looked super weird because I never, I, I honestly, I never spoke to Coach Mo when he was, a, when I first met him. I was just going back there. I would talk to Coach Griffin or I would talk to, you know, Tim Welsh. Coach Mo walked in with the athletic director and he said, we're going to name Mo Sarah the head coach. And, had to start over like hi i'm charles i know i wasn't really open to you in the beginning but it looks like you're the guy so let's like try to build a relationship fast forward to your uh your, after your senior year you're getting ready for the nba draft okay mm-hmm. um what'd you think what was your agent telling you uh, I mean, my agent was telling me i'd get drafted <laughs> um he didn't really have an idea where uh, I know I worked out for about 14 or 15 teams. Um, some workouts were a lot better than others. Some, some workouts I had, I really thought I was going to these teams. Uh, I worked out for like, like, uh, what, like, what was your best? Your, your best, like, man, I killed it. Charlotte was my absolute best. Charlotte Who else was, was there? Uh, what do you mean? Players? Uh, yes. I know Marshawn Brooks was there. Uh, they were, I think his name was Ladarius Dunn. He went to uh Baylor, yeah. uh, Baylor, Lace Darius Dunn. Yeah, him. Uh, Darius Morris was there, and we had two bigs. I can't remember. I think one was uh Trey Tompkins, and the other one was uh Nikola Vucevic, I think. And I just remember winning almost every drill. I don't, I don't think I missed when we played the full court three on three. I don't, I played really well in front of Paul Silas. So I was thinking like our worst case scenario, I'm going to, I'm going to be in Charlotte in the back of my mind, but they didn't have like, they didn't have a lot of picks. I know they took Kemba and I think they had like a late first, like in the fifties or something. 
So we had so, conversations. Uh, he was getting feedback. Some teams wanted me to come back, but I had other workouts scheduled that I couldn't go to. I couldn't um, see a team again. Um, I worked out really well for Detroit. Um, I had a good meeting with them after. So I would, where I really thought I was going to go, if I had to bet, was Detroit. At, I think it was like 30. 33. 33. Yeah. They, took, yeah. they took Kyle Singler. Yeah. Okay, draft draft night. Where were you? Draft night. I was in the W Hotel with my family. Okay, um, and and just just those your you four and your agent or no? Did you have it was, it was uh, my my mom my my mom dad sister brother uh, my brother in law my best friend college teammate and one of my my childhood friends was there. So it was about eight of us. Who's your Who's your best friend? Who was with you? Uh, Daquan Bats. We've been friends since we were like four or five years old. Okay, so what What Daquan think was going to happen? Or is it like was he like, man? I know you're going. I mean, he's what? he's more reserved. He's he's not the kind of dude that's like in your air. You know, he's really observant. Um, so he wasn't really feeding me anything. It was my college teammate Nathaniel Lester who who thought that I should have been. A lottery pick, if you ask him, like his right. Reaction, I mean, like, but yeah, his reaction, like every time a point guard goes, like, no, Nolan Smith gets trapped, like, oh, you're better than Nolan Smith. Norris yeah. Cole was a first round pick, like, oh, yeah. you kill Norris Cole. Corey that's Joseph what, goes, man, I, you kill, you killed him. Yeah. What was going? Like these guys are idiots, right? He, yeah, that that's guy. that's what he was. That's that's exactly who he was that entire night. He was that because obviously, to me, I knew I knew I wasn't a lottery pick, so I. When the first round began, I think we were at like the mall or something. My parents was already in the hotel. My sister was there, but we were like at the mall in Queens. We weren't even in the city yet. And I was saying like, all right, maybe like around like the 17th pick, like we should start making our way to the city. So we drove, we got a parking spot and then we made our way upstairs, probably like around the time. uh, I think Reggie Jackson just got picked. and then. We started to watch, but it was like, it was tough because I mean, my mom is there. Um, she's being a mom, very supportive. And she's also, she didn't have much knowledge of like what's going on. All she was waiting for was to see, to see me on the screen. And, you know, Jay Billis had the best available, you know, picks. And from after like the lottery, I was at like 10. And then I went from 10 and then I was, me and Josh Shelby was like one and two. So seeing that at the bottom, but my name is still not being called was like, yeah. in my head, I'm like, damn, like what, how, like, why is this going on? But there's also an amazing amount of pressure around the room too. So I want to like stay composed and look like I'm not frustrated, but also want to like have my own like reaction to what's going on. But every, any reaction I had, someone in the room already expressed it, whether it was like a, or damn, not yet, or what's your agent saying? Like sometimes somebody were like questioning my agent and stuff. And my, me and my agent were like texting back and forth at the time. And I was saying like, man, I feel like you lied to me. Like this is, this is not happening. Like, especially at, at the forties. I mean, I met with um, Golden State in Chicago, but I didn't work. I didn't get a chance to work out for them. So I definitely didn't think that. Um, I didn't play that well in the Minnesota workout. I know they took Malcolm Lee and I wasn't like, ecstatic about that i was just looking at the teams left and i'm like man it's only about 20 picks left like something's got to happen i knew 100 percent i wasn't going to be a laker 
but it's so much going on at the time. I couldn't really like capture my own emotion because all, my family was so animated the entire time. <laughs> so, okay. So who'd you get the call from? Uh, I got the call from my agent. Uh, he was, he was on the phone. He was like, you know, you have, you got it. You have to prove yourself. Uh, they made a mistake and we're going to prove that they made a mistake. And he hung up the phone and my family was all like, at that, at that point, they were all like drained from just reacting to everything that happened. And I was just like standing up and before like Adam Silver said it, I just had like a bottle of champagne and I like, I was, I was so mad though. I was so mad. <laughs> I had a bottle of champagne and I just like threw it on the ground and it just exploded everywhere. And everybody was like in shock, like, like, are you okay? Like, it's okay. Don't worry. It's going to happen. You're going to get out of this. And while all of this is going on, Adam Silver is like, with the 44th pick. <laughs> and they <laughs> called my name. And then the room just like went, went crazy. And my phone went from probably five messages to like 300 and something. It was crazy. This is back when people left voicemails. <laughs> yeah, back when voicemails. Yeah. Back, when, back when people left messages. <laughs> yes, nobody leaves a message. Nobody, nobody, nobody listens to voicemails. Nobody returns voicemails. Yeah, it's yeah. just a text. Hit, hit, hit me back. All right, that's part one of my uh, my talk with Charles Jenkins. We'll drop part two a couple of days. We'll let this one kind of simmer for a little bit. It's really, really good stuff. Um, I, I do want to say this in regards to the Russell Westbrook trade. I, I, I'm, I've talked to enough NBA people that are like, look, that dude is so crazy competitive. Right? He pushes guys, pushes guys. LeBron does the same thing. Um, so th- there's obviously an attraction there and he can make plays off the dribble. He can create shots for other people. Russell Westbrook ha- is a tremendous player. But does he fit the Lakers? No. No. He's a high-volume, low-make shooter. Who needs the ball in his hands? We need Anthony Davis to get the ball. We need LeBron to have the ball. Yes. Could could he be given, you know, the second quarter or whatever to kind of do his thing? But they, they're going to need so much more shooting around him. Now, the one thing about uh, Russ as opposed to Ben Simmons is like, at some point you do have to take these shots. And um, there, there's a lot of good there. I just... I don't know how they're going to get enough other pieces. He's also older. He's had three knee surgeries. LeBron's had his first couple of injuries he's ever had in his career. Not because he's, there's something wrong with him. He just, you get to your mid thirties and things start to break down. Plus Anthony Davis is the youngest of, of the three and he breaks down all the time. So I still want to see what they put together around him, what they're able to, they got to sign and trade Dennis Schroeder and they got, they got to find a way to move some pieces around but I don't love that that mix. And and they're all friends, and we all think, well, we're all buddies. So get like, when does that work? Didn't work with Westbrook and Harden. They were buddies. You don't have to love the guy that you're playing. You had to love playing with the guy, but not necessarily love him off the off the court. I don't I don't know. I just I don't love it. I don't love it. It's very, very interesting. You know, they were gonna hire Scott Brooks as an assistant. They didn't, so now you have a coaching staff that hasn't coached him either. That's really interesting. All right, you will love part two. Um, if you love part one, if you didn't love part one, you'll love part two, I guarantee it. You can listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 3 Pacific, on these stations, on, on, on your Fox Sports Radio stations, or on the iHeartRadio app. You can also download that podcast, and that's, of course, all sports. 
Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to write a review, download, subscribe, rate, tell a friend, tweet it out. That was pretty good. Thanks to Charles Jenkins. We'll get to part two next. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.